Episode 8 Seraphim Ellison Carter had waited too long. As she drove into the Ninth Ward, it was impossible to keep the van moving in a straight line. The wind was just too powerful. Fortunately, there was no other traffic. The people who would not or could not leave the city were barricaded in their homes. Everyone else was gone. Her father sat rigid in the passenger seat, gripping the armrests with white knuckles. Her mother in the back was so frightened that she had covered her head with a sweater. More than once, tree limbs crashed near them. Several times they had to drive onto sidewalks to get past debris that blocked their way. And the rain, it was like someone blasting the windshield with a fire hose. Driving blind in a hurricane. For the hundredth time, Ellie cursed herself. Dagan was an idiot, but she was a bigger idiot. Why had she stayed there arguing with him, putting her parents' lives in jeopardy? Had she really expected him to make a rational decision? Had she really thought she could change his mind? In all the years she had known him, that had never happened. He was just as selfish, self-centered, destructive, and arrogant as the first day they had met. What was wrong with men that they couldn't grow up? What they were at 13, they were forever. Any illusion that a man was maturing, mellowing, becoming more sensitive and concerned for others as he grew older was a fabrication of a deluded female brain. While he might look more distinguished on the outside, what a curse for women, on the inside the only change was in his prostate and the plaque in his arteries. Ellie, uh, would you like me to drive? No, Dad. And here was a case in point. It wasn't just Dagan, it was every male. You're sure you never did drive very well in bad weather? Grit your teeth, don't say it. Don't waste your energy on more male stupidity. Just because she had been in a small fender bender during a storm when she was 17 years old, her father had decided that she had an eternal inability to drive in the rain. I'm doing as well as anybody could, Dad. All right, if you say so, just remember to turn into a skid and not away from it. Bite your tongue. Don't let him draw you into an argument that you have had 1,000 times. Do not remind him that his driving record includes totaling two cars as well as five other accidents, one of which sent people to the hospital. That's exactly the way a man thought. He might have spent his life turning highways into demolition derbies, but no matter how horrible a driver he was in his 13-year-old testosterone-damaged brain, he was always more capable than a woman. And there was no logic, no evidence, not a shred of rational thought that could dissuade him. The frightening thing was that when you were dealing with the masculine mind, intelligence didn't matter. A man could have an IQ of 70 or 170. It made no difference. At heart, he was still an idiot. Good breeding and excellent education might make him into a more sophisticated idiot. But being more sophisticated was not an improvement. It was camouflage. Why did women put up with it? What disease had control of the female psyche? And she was just as sick as every other woman. What was she doing this very minute? Risking her life to save yet another male jackass. Why hadn't Eustace stayed at the club like she had begged him to? Because he was a stubborn, selfish jerk just like Dagan. Why did Eustace insist on living in a slum? Precisely because he had no good breeding, intelligence, or education. He was, in fact, a prototypical, unvarnished male in all his unfettered swinehood. And here she was, risking everything to save his ass, when all he had to do was cooperate just this one time. But no, he never cooperated, and frankly she was sick of it. When all of this was over, things were going to change. That was her decision, and it was final. Who was she kidding? Nothing was ever final with Eustace. 
It might be final with you, but if he didn't want to do it, you couldn't move him with a front-end loader. What aberrant gene, what evil in some long-dead ancestor had led her to this suicidal involvement with such insanely selfish men? The van pulled up in front of a decrepit house. Her father started to open the door. I'll get him. No, Dad, he might not recognize you. What are you talking about? He's seen me a hundred times. You were in the room a hundred times when he was present. That doesn't mean he's ever seen you. Jumping out, she ran toward the steps. Instantly, she was drenched to the skin. Pulling open the screen, she pounded on the door. Eustace, Eustace, it's Ellie. Open up. No answer. Eustace, the hurricane is here. We've got to go. Still no answer. She tried the knob. Unlocked. Not a good sign. Eustace was paranoid. He locked everything, even his lunch pail. Rushing inside, she yelled, Eustace, where are you? The house was tiny, only four shabby rooms, and all were empty. Eustace! Running to the back door, she looked out. The alley was deserted. Garbage cans were blowing in the wind. Turning back, she screamed, If you're hiding, come out right now, or you're going to be sorry. I'm leaving, and if you don't come with me, you could die. A blast of wind shook the house. Oh, God, Eustace, where are you? Obviously not here, and there was no time to search for him. Racing back out the front door, she jumped into the van. Her father stared at her. Where is he? I don't know. Gone. He has some other place that he keeps secret. I told him not to go there. Of course, he never cooperates. He loves to hide. She was almost in tears. Hide? Throwing the van into reverse, she backed into the street and drove away. He's done it before. Once we searched his house for half an hour. That house? That one, just four tiny rooms. He's huge. How could he hide in there? He'd wrapped his butt in a bedspread, then bent double on the floor. Everything but his ass was hidden under the bed. The only part of him sticking out looked like a huge pillow. We walked through that place a dozen times and never saw him. How'd you find him? Dagan got so mad that he kicked the pillow. Eustace yelled, sat up, and the whole bed crashed on top of him. He really does need to be institutionalized, dear. Ellie's mother, Anne, looked drenchingly sweet until she opened her mouth. Anyone that big with such a pea brain should be chained and surrounded with guard dogs. Mother, it's the truth. Because of that retarded monster, we're going to die. We're not going to die and stop calling him a retarded monster. Annie, maybe you should put that sweater back over your head. We don't want to distract her from her driving. You know how she does in bad weather. I certainly do. Please, will everybody just be quiet? Of course, you never listen to me anyway. Now her mother was crying. Well, there was nothing she could do about it. Ever since she had entered their home as a child, Ellison had been amazed at these two people. Her mother, a whining complainer addicted to making piggish comments, and her father, a bright man with little imagination, whose greatest concern was for himself. Okay, now that was over the top. It was unkind, ungrateful, and only partially true. All right, mostly true. But just thinking it made her feel guilty. Whatever they were, these two infuriating people had chosen to love her, a disturbed little girl full of sorrow and fear. And they adored each other. Though most of the time Ellie wasn't sure whether it was self-sacrificing love or pure bloody masochism. The hurricane was growing much worse, and it was still many hours before landfall. As they traveled up Interstate 10 past Lake Pontchartrain, water was blowing over the road. Several times they almost crashed. Suddenly her father leaned forward and stared. What the heck is that? Ellie bent over the wheel to look. Something was up in the sky. A vague, churning shape the size of a mountain. Slowly it took form. 
in the black clouds above the lake swirled a gigantic shimmering figure. Around and around it flew with its arms outstretched and its long hair streaming. A lightning blast filled the sky and from the creature's body rose great burning wings. Anne shrieked, Oh God! Oh Jesus! Save us! In great circles of glistening mist it swirled faster and faster. She's dancing, Ellie whispered. In spite of the terror, she was overwhelmed with the horrifying beauty of it. As the creature streaked back and forth, suddenly it swooped down over the van, and for an instant Ellie saw her face. Violet eyes veiled in lightning, crimson lips streaked with flames. In it was savage loveliness and endless hunger, the ravishing splendor of an angel from hell. For an instant, the woman and the seraphim stared at each other, and then the wheels of the van left the ground. The last thing Ellie remembered, they were flying up into a burning avalanche, and her parents were screaming. After that came darkness, and in the darkness, the sob of a child.